Cagney here, and we are back. Joining me as usual is Dave Meltzer's favorite podcaster, is Justin Shapiro. Justin, how you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, we're, this is oddly familiar. <laughs> it's it's been a long time since you heard from us, but a short time since we've heard from each other. And uh, let me explain. A few weeks back, we recorded a monster show covering all of the WWF in 1995, nearly three hours long. And when I went to edit the audio, it turned out Justin's audio was about two seconds ahead of mine. I don't know why. It's never happened before. Show was too long, maybe? I don't know. Unfortunately, it, it just couldn't be salvaged. I, Justin, I know we have fine on-air chemistry, but you probably shouldn't respond to my comments before I make them, nor should it take me two seconds to get your jokes. It's like a, I, if that ever leaks, it's going to be our basement tapes or something like that. It's a great <laughs> lost episode, and people are going to think we sound disturbed and weird because it's just uh, it's almost normal, and then it's not. I, did, uh, I sent the file out to a, a couple people who were... Uh, Curious, and someone commented it would be like a, it was like the dress rehearsal for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, that's why we rehearse, you know. <laughs> we're a bit more improv heavy than, uh, perhaps more organic than the the heavily scripted SNL. But. Oh, absolutely. And I need to let him turn this card, and that's why we're the best. <laughs> but no, I mean we we've been touring with this the the '94 one where we do the whole show verbatim. Well, it's usually like I don't know, we do Thursday, Friday, and then a matinee on both weekends. So that one was crisp. This one is uh, only our second time through. So normally we rehearse the show five or six times. This time just the once. So I hope it doesn't. Yep. We couldn't take it through the loop. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. All right, so uh, a little difference this time. We're splitting the show into two parts, which will also pad my show count, much like they when they split a bra to uh, add uh, multiple best shows of the week. Uh, we'll be covering January through June here, yeah. and July through December in a month or so. Now, is this Rise World, or is it the World Zone? <laughs> I like the World Zone. That sounds that sounds pleasant to me. It's not it's no surprise though that with this effort, you and I've been taping these since '06, right? With a, a few breaks in between, but sure, we've never a, had an audio hiccup before. The only real ever audio hiccup was a show I did with Mike Coughlin that was lost to the ether. Oh no! It just didn't record. Oh, okay. frustrating. Well, and there, after all those shows, World's got to win one of them. <laughs> I got to win it too. They're actually the the famed uh, two part history of WrestleMania show was also had audio problems, in where the, a third the person Monsoon was talking. <laughs> Matt Foy was there. No, um, the Gorilla Monsoon drop board caused similar audio lags. I was able to fix that one at least through fairly arduous uh, time adding correct spaces so oh, uh, the audio lined up. You protected me from that one. I didn't even know there was a problem. Yeah, no. It was it was fixable, though, so that's not really a problem. <laughs> so uh, I think this will be better in the sense that we are... Uh, <coughs> I was dragging fairly badly by the end of that, that third... Uh, into the third hour, much much like a Raw these days. So <laughs> I think it, the last one was like a Judd Apatow movie, very indulgent. <laughs> A lot of stuff. Now, this time around, I think it might be like a good Judd Apatow movie. <laughs> Maybe he just produced it. Oh, there, yes. Perfect. Not a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I can steal all of Justin's old jokes. Oh, my God. That's the thing. I mean, this is a... There's a thrill of discovery, but maybe I'm going to cross you up on some spots, too. Uh-oh. But again, that's why we rehearse. 
Yep, that's true. We will do our best not to say, as we previously said, because um, mm-hmm. you did not know we previously said it, nor will we try to seem dead inside, which which may occur. That show is like one of the, the Rockers tag title change, where <laughs> it seemed like it happened, but nope. Nope. Nope, you may have read about it in PWI, but forget it. Which actually uh, occurred to me. <laughs> I told all my friends, you won't believe this, and no one did. That's good. So we have uh, done our best to uh, recreate the same situations of last time. I have the 49ers-Rams game playing on in the background. So uh, we'll see. I'm confident, sort of. <laughs> Here's open. Uh, now, it has been a, l- a long, long time since the last yearbook show, because there was so much going on in 1995. Uh, they expanded to monthly pay-per-views, that's what we'll get to, and it was just a pretty nutty year. So we'll, some things will probably be overlooked. If we miss a, a TV feud or a memorable Raw match, it's going to happen, so don't flip out, okay? <laughs> Maybe not, though. You never <laughs> You never know. But no, I mean, we've been sitting on this 95 story for a long time. Yep. And We're going to break... Busted out. Yes, well, the conspiracy goes deeper and that forces conspired to short-circuit that last show. <laughs> well, they can't hold us. Down. Dare I tell them again what the deal is? Go the big secret tell about them. 1995? One What's is that it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's not worth reminiscing about. And <laughs> who wants to go back to 1995? But in the interest of journalism... And uh, March of Dimes, I will. So, okay, thank you. And uh, you know, a lot of people, I think that's a, a popular trend. You look back on things that have been dogged on and say, you know what, maybe that wasn't so bad. But 1995 really was. Was there good wrestling? Yes. But if you if you were around and you saw the what was going on and the the lack of connection to the crowd, this was no good. Mm-hmm. However, there were several changes this year. Three big ones. Uh, that pretty much made the formation of the modern WWE as we know it. Two of which we'll get to this time, another uh, the next time. Okay, so a little, uh, little build, a little, little build for down the road. Mm-hmm. All right, as we begin 1995, Diesel is the new <laughs> WWF champion. Razor Ramon still the Intercontinental champion, and the tag titles are held up. Raw is only an hour long. They tape a month's worth of shows in a night, which I don't think that they could do today. As for the overall state of wrestling, the WF and WCW were in real rough patches in terms of quality and business. I mean, WCW had uncensored uh, 95 that year in the astonishing Hulk Hogan visits the Dungeon of Doom skit. But um, everywhere else in the world, the wrestling was booming. Japan was strong. AAA was going on in Mexico. ECW gaining traction. But everything you knew existed was terrible. <laughs> That's right. No qualms. <laughs> also, I honked every time Joe said diesel on the last show, and I'm not going to do that this time. One hundred percent honk rate. Imagine it. All right, January. Only one place to start. Mantar. We touched on this a bit last time. Mantar was a big fat guy with a bison head, and he's actually come back in the uh, the wrestling consciousness as he is basically dressed the same as El Torito. Oh my God! Aren't you glad this got delayed, everyone? That changes everything. He's like Boytar. <laughs> um, if you watch his debut match, you can hear Tony Chimmel introduce him as the Minotaur, and then Lawler pipes in with, did he say Mantar? And no, he clearly did not. So I don't know what was wrong with Minotaur, just that extra syllable. I, I guess Mantar flowed better. 
But uh, I mean, he's from the Isle of Crete. I don't know. I don't know who they were fooling. And the math is all messed up. I want to say what Tony Schimmel said again when he introduced Mantor. I can't let that one go. Do you know what he said? You know now what he said. He introduced him as the rated tar, super tar, Mantar. Because I had to write, this is twice I had to write new Mantar material, a whole Mantar chunk, because I accidentally spent, I didn't know I was going to, uh, that Chimmel thing last time came up, and then I accidentally used up the perfect Mantar joke, which is that he <laughs> is three-fourths Minotaur, one-fourth man. Or no, he's half Minotaur, half man, which means he's three-quarters bull and one-quarter man. No, he'd be three-quarters man, right? If he's half man, half Minotaur, Minotaur is a half, half man, half yes, bull. thank you. Okay. See? We'll get it right. right in the long run. Oh. <laughs> the next taping, you just wait. That'll flow seamlessly. Uh, so just to confirm, you? 75% man, mm-hmm. one-fourth bull. Yep. Okay. Uh, Jim Cornette actually managed him. At this point, with Yokozuna absent, Cornette was down to the heavenly bodies in Mantar. Mm-hmm. A low point not matched until the second. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still true two weeks later. He hasn't turned around. <laughs> he did another shoot interview <laughs> on LW Radio. What there I wondered go. was, I have a lot of suppressed Mantar memories because I, I just didn't, they didn't seem worth remembering. Was there a point, was it immediately or was it like short into the ephemeral Mantar run when when Jim Ross was announcing he would get like, that up with it and be like, he's not a minotaur, he's a man, he's a wrestler, I don't know what, I mean, he thinks he's some kind of three-quarters minotaur, no, that's not, okay. <laughs> no that <is> <laughs> but still, yeah, didn't he have, was he, he's a wrestler, he's more man than tar. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember this, although Mantar did act rather bullish in um, several of his matches where he would charge, you know, if El Matador was still around, it would have been a natural feud, but he's messed, that's Kind of goes against the math, I would think. If he was three quarters bull, I could see that as acceptable behavior. Mm. It's not the case. <laughs> yeah, that's this is true. I remember he talked about him. I just remember Jr. wanted to talk about what a pure sports athlete the man was. <laughs> like he was a, an Undertaker. Mark Calloway was too much into his gimmick. It was the same thing where this <laughs> great college grappler bought into his character of being one fourth bull. Uh, he wasn't the guy from Smoky Mountain that killed the guy, was he? That was Johnny K-9, right? Who, the, the guy in the maze? <laughs> no. Skip it. <laughs> anyway, any more Mantar <laughs> The sexiest man alive. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway... We started getting vignettes from Man Mountain Rock. This was the former Max Payne from WCW, known for his vicious brawls with the Nasty Boys. Here he was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes when Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick were doing the producers, they still managed to delight even each other, no matter how many times they'd done it. Oh... Man Mountain Rock here was just a tie-dyed goofball. I know he would play his guitar that was the shape of the old WBF logo, which I assume is just a blur now somewhere. 
he had a few with Bob Backlund over generational issues. <laughs> Bob Backlund, again, back in the national consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Things have and, changed, uh, man. We live no, they really haven't. Everyone here keeps popping. There are like four or five people we'll talk about in depth that have major roles in the company these days from 18 years later. But I guess uh, I guess Man Mountain Rock was also the original GTV. And uh, I don't know why he didn't get the Rad Radford gimmick. It seemed a, a better fit than... I don't know. I don't know. The huge cultural divide at the time of wholesome, enjoyable rock and roll with a good beat you can dance to against evil, insidious, seditious rock and roll <laughs> from the Pac Northwest. <laughs> so what kind I'm I don't really understand what kind of rock Man Mountain Rock represented. He wasn't didn't really seem a hair metal kind of guy. Yeah, because mountain rock implies, like, the Appalachians and bluegrass everywhere out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know why, because Radford, and I should remember from when we talked about it, I don't. Will we get to Rad Rad in this? Yes, okay, will, so he does debut within six months of Man Mountain Rock? Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, at that meeting, and I mean, we just heard Sonny on The Art of Wrestling, or maybe you did, where she talked about the iterations they went through coming up with their gimmick, and it just seemed to be like, say a couple words and see what happens. So, they pitched Man Mountain Rock, and then they, Louis Spicoli, they were like, just, a, just another, uh, just another one of those? Okay, yeah. There's all kinds of music. <laughs> what about uh, legendary talker guy from... Texas Territory, a real free bird. Yeah, he's a rock and roll man, too. In fact, you can name him after some rock and roll men. Sure. That's with them now. The last and most compelling thing about Man Mountain Rock, the math of which I will not screw up, is that now he is one-third of each of those words. Yes. One-third man, one-third mountain, and one-third rock. But that is actually two-thirds rock. So. Oh, it's a little redundant mm-hmm. there. I guess Man Rock. Man Mountain? That's not bad, Rock. <laughs> More debuts. Kama, the Supreme Fighting Machine, debuted with the former Papa Shango, now with a high-top fade and t-shirt. And it wasn't Kimo, it was Kama. Dave Meltzer made sure to point that out, even though it never dawned on me to make that connection, because I didn't, I didn't know anything about UFC at the time. I just thought he was boring and wore a t-shirt. And I, why did he wear the t-shirt? Was it uh, so he wouldn't figure out he was Papa Sean <laughs> covered up tattoos? Like he, like no, like he had this huge high top fade, and he wasn't wearing skull face paint. I think, I don't know, that wouldn't have dawned on me. I wanted to hear. I know we said we weren't going to requote, but last time I have to tell you, audience, Joe said I didn't know about the UFC at the time because I wasn't forced to. <laughs> 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 Comma, what so. the heck, man? Um, yeah, I, is there a biography for how Kama got from a voodoo man to a UFC man who likes to kick and punch with techniques for that? And then uh, got into... Well, in between pimping hoes nationwide, he was also into the Black Power movement... He just had led an interesting life. He certainly has. And his uh, late religious conversion. Oh my God, that's right. Before he fell back into his pimping mm-hmm. ways that existed. He relapsed. 
sadly. Uh, are you ready for the revised <laughs> top eight WF MMA gimmicks of all time? The list is double. Most successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number eight, Sylvester Turkai. <laughs> Number seven, Daniel Pewter. Six, the Brawl for All. Five, Kama. Four, Ken Shamrock. Three, the skinny fat jujitsu of CM Punk. <laughs> Two, Brock Lesnar, 2012 to the present. And number one, The Undertaker as the best pure striker in WWE history. I wish you would have punctuated all of those. So you would have said, uh, five, comma, uh, <laughs> comma. Yeah, that's, that's where you lost me. Then I realized, oh, right, this man we were just talking about. I imagine out of all those, people have a hard time remembering Sylvester Chakai. He, <laughs> well, I can't think of one interesting thing to say about him that doesn't involve um, Elijah Burke, too, because they were the knockout-tap-out connection. Turkai was the tap-out half. I don't think he tapped at anybody. <laughs> I believe his deal was that he was was he a, an IRL rival of Kurt Angle in amateur wrestling, and I think he came in probably to never do a program with Kurt Angle, but in his, in their dreams he would, like Gerald Briscoe or someone envision dollar signs. That sounds familiar. That's I mean that's up there with the worst names in um, <laughs> in history. I know it was his actual name. Maybe <laughs> they felt obligated to use. His real name, since he was an MMA fighter. I mean, but he was paired with Elijah Burke. That's a pretty good wrestling name. Sylvester Turkai. It's terrible. It sounds like Turkey. Yeah. It looks Turkey. like Turkey, too. <laughs> uh, on to uh, more debuts. The Blue Twins debuted with Ron and Don Harris, one of their many, many gimmicks. They were uh, big mountain men, perhaps like Man Mountain, Mountain Rock. <laughs> With their Uncle Zebekiah, who I debated mentioning until he was brought back and inserted into the world title program at WrestleMania. It remains probably, what, the number two manager on the uh, on the current roster? I mean, AJ's out of the managerial game, so he'd have to be. He's, uh, he's pretty distant second to Paul. Well, granted. <laughs> now, um, Jacob and Eli Blue, the Blues Brothers movie... Jacob, Jake, and Elwood Blue. So, why, and what? <laughs> <laughs> I always went with a, a biblical connection. Not that I know what that <laughs> who those men oh, are. Yeah, those know. are both straight out. I think they have some kind of number colon number after both of those things. Sure, <laughs> books of the the Old Testament, I presume. Is there a book Maybe. of Eli? I mean, yeah, wasn't that a movie? <laughs> yes. I assume that was just that's where they got it from. Um, yeah, that's that. I mean, I think there's winged beasts and things like that. I don't know. It's that Kevin Smith comic book religion type stuff. So I don't know how accurate it is. Probably very. Was that was Denzel in that Washington? I mean, was. okay, okay. As a, what other Denzel? <laughs> well, yeah, but did, what? Jacob and Eli Blue is the kind of way they name people today, where they're like, what's a, what's a thing from a movie? Okay, rhyme it. <laughs> <laughs> You're Larry Bonds now. <laughs> All I know from the Bible is Jacob had a ladder, which uh, mm. sadly never came into play. Also a film. Oh, yeah. Which be, appears be rema- uh, being remade. Mm-hmm. Is that what the ladder match came from? I would think it came from Jacob. Oh, I wonder if they um, 
foretold the coming of Jacoby Ellsbury. Ooh. Oh, my condolences on the pirates, by the way. Go Bucks! Now, this is still being released before their series with St. Louis, right? <laughs> I should support them. Sure, go for Cut it. Cut the cards! <laughs> well, at least you have the Steelers. Oh. That was mean. <clears throat> uh, moving along. Howard Finkel and Harvey Whippleman settled their decades-long feud in the tuxedo match on Raw. I only mention this because during the Top 100 Moments of Raw DVD, this is the only thing from 1995 that made the list. To be fair, there was nothing there from 94, so I guess this is a step up. Hmm. It's like the Benoit dark match haunted in all both those years, and they're like, don't, can't even, no, 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 no. And that WWF logo looks a lot like the one we made all jaggedy, so we'd better just avoid it altogether. <laughs> yep. Have you seen that DVD? Uh, no. There's... The the segment where Big Show explains why it was the right thing to do to lose to Steve Austin on Raw in his first match. Is that where that's from? Ah. Because you see, Justin, okay. they were putting the match together. And Steve Austin's oh. like, you know what? The people just want to see me drink some beers and give some stunners. And you know what? The Big Show had not earned the right to beat a Steve Austin yet. Because this is a pure athletic contest. Mm-hmm. I was just... Uh, I mean, I guess in the end it doesn't matter much, and we'll cover this in probably a few years when we get to early 1999, but still, a little flabbergasting. What's scary is when we get to the Monday Night Wars era, we'll probably have to go month by month just to be like, this week they (laughs) went completely bonkers. (laughs) I think we'll be... uh, Dead Some things have to be glossed glossed over. Mm. I hope uh, we will not meet our demise by then. Uh, Tech War was coming to the USA Network because, well, the kids have to learn about Tech War sooner or later. So they sent William Shatner to be a guest on the King's Court, which did not go well. Jerry Lawler insulted both Shatner and the fans, leaving Shatner to reply, These are not idiots. This is our audience. These are the people who watch Tech War. (laughs) Then he gave Lawler a monkey flip, and this led to Shatner being in Bret Hart's corner the next week as Bret defeated Jeff Jarrett on Raw. The Tech War universe. (laughs) What was Tech War about? I don't even know. Um, in the early 2090s, a series of events launched the inaugural Tech War. I don't know. <laughs> I only know it from being advertised at the time. My USA uh, the, uh, encyclopedic memory of that is mostly these new shows where it's like, a person has a profession and stares intently. And then another character says their name, Ellipses, dramatic ending. Um, so a lot of those people would be good guests on the King's Court, like the fairly legal lady who is a, a mediator. I've never seen that one. That show got canceled. So oh, but it was called Fairly Legal, which is it amazing. Was. Because yes. I don't think the title Fairly Legal was like, moderately legal, a gray area. I think it was legality that she makes fair through her mediation, but I don't yes. think that's how that uh, adjective works. <laughs> and, By the way, yeah. oh, go ahead. Um, but I like the commercial where she was 
of wearing uh, no shirt and her underwear, and she's like, I'm fairly legal, shahi shari or something like that. <laughs> but I don't know how you, like, there are a lot of procedural shows like that with a case of the week and then it's solved, but she would solve it, I assume, the same way, where it, like, uh, 50 minutes into the episode, she'd say, what if we... Uh, had a negotiation and met somewhere in the middle, and then they're like, "No, wait, yes, thank you, bye." <laughs> By the way, the best post show, both uh, post draw television show, Silk Stockings, is the correct. That answer. would be that was who I wanted to see on the uh, King's mm. Court. Is just any woman in a bra from the first three minutes of Silk Stockings. <laughs> if you don't know, it was basically Law and Order SVU, but sexy. Every I, you know, I couldn't stay up past. Uh, 11 o'clock, so when Raw would end and you're winding down, getting ready to shut it down, slumber, so Raw would end, I'd be like, oh my god, what a match, or back then it would just be, hey, a really boring squash to end Raw, and then an advertisement (laughs) for Tech Wars appearing on the King's Court the next week, but Silk Stockings, cold open was a very hot open because something super, super sexy would be happening. Then someone would get murdered, and that air of danger made it even sexier. (laughs) And then I would turn it off so I'd never see their characters, I assume, named Silk and Stockings, investigate the sexy, (laughs) sexy murder. I don't think so. That name doesn't make a ton of sense if you think about it for too long. Is it Stockings a play on words, too? Like as in like stalking, right? And, uh, I'm like Barry Windham mm-hmm. later on. Private eyes watching you, etc. Uh, and now, when did La Femme Nikita have her run in the territories? That was, I think was in the <laughs> late nineties, right? Late nineties, okay. yeah. Yeah. We'll get I to remember. her then. <laughs> Claude's crib. If anyone remembers, poor USA Network shows. Mm. Oh, oh all night. Oh, man, don't even get me started. <laughs> the best of times. All right, uh, I guess we should get to the Royal Rumble. Uh, it's actually a heck of a show. I'll do the undercard. We'll get the, the bad out of the way first. The Undertaker beat IRS in a comical match, although it did set off a year's worth of Undertaker versus Corporation. <laughs> so the, this would be like a John Cena-Heath Slater match at the Rumble, if you can fathom such a thing. Or possibly Alberto Del Rio, depending on how that goes. <laughs> Uh, you had Jeff Jarrett win the IC title from Razor Ramon in a fine match with um, sort of a curious ending as the roadie clipped Razor's knee and got him counted out. Jeff, uh, Jarrett challenged Ramon to get back in the ring, which he did, and he probably lost when his knee gave out. I don't really know why they did the false ending, but there you go. I assume it's some kind of Memphis bullshit. <laughs> Where he was like, Maybe. hey, y'all, let's do this Memphis bullshit. <laughs> It seemed, I don't know, some sort of odd concession to Razor for, uh, I don't know, because, you know, he already lost, so <laughs> yep. he shouldn't have lost again. Uh-huh. Anyway. I, uh, I, yeah, it's something in there. Damn it, Patterson, you're losing the plot. <laughs> the Damn it, one, two, Black Jack Lanza, <laughs> whoever was <laughs> producing at the time. <laughs> Uh, the 1-2-3 Kid and Bob Holly won the tag titles in the tournament finals against Bam Bam and Tatanka in somewhat fluky fashion as Tatanka knocked Bam Bam off the top rope accidentally. Afterwards, DiBiase and Tatanka took off as Bam Bam just wandered around ringside telling people not to laugh at him. But you know who did laugh at him? His football and cocaine legend Lawrence Taylor. 
leaning Bigelow to shove him down. People were uh, wondering at the time if this was real, which is absurd looking back, although it was actually quite well done. It was uh, it was real, as far as I'm concerned. It was real <laughs> in the moment. I know, well, it would have seemed more real because, not to skip ahead 24 hours, but then Vince McMahon, the announcer of the WWF, came on Monday Night Raw and was extremely contrite over the actions of one Scott Bigelow. Which was just, I was like, who cares what this guy thinks? <laughs> what does he have to do with it? <laughs> so what I wonder is, Joe, was I merely dumb at the time, at the age of 13? Or should I have known that by then? Uh, the I dude riding Harleys with uh, Hulk Hogan all the time actually had a bigger role than announcing? I had had that, I, not quite spoiled, but revealed to me by the Pro Wrestling uh, Illustrated, the after mags, if you will. Mm. And um, so, I mean, my mind was blown when I had learned that a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. So, you just came a couple of years later. Oh, that's a relief. Now, wouldn't it be weird if this January the main event heel of WrestleMania was pinned by Evan Bourne in some tag match at the Royal Rumble? <laughs> that would be somewhat peculiar. Uh, Diesel defended the title uh. against Bret Hart. <laughs> it's... It's funny because last year we uh, we mentioned the Rumble came down to Brett and Luger, and they went right to the finish because they didn't want to have two baby faces fighting. And here you have two baby faces having a 28 minute match. Although Brett was totally heel, though he was never really booed until he used a chair, and even then the crowd cheered when he went for the sharpshooter. And then, uh, at one point, Diesel jackknifes Brett. Sean runs in, just beats crap out of Diesel for a while. The ref is okay with it. You know, it was, I understand relaxed rules. It was a little silly. Then, uh, right. Normally, oh. like guest referees will be like, "I don't even care. There's going to be a fight, <laughs> so go on." And not just some. I mean, the actual officials, if they're not calling that a disqualification, that would be like the WWE Network morning program, which just repeats Wrestle Center over and over again. <laughs> they would have all their talking heads. Non-stop, being like, "Whoa! By whose authority did he not call that DQ?" And uh, then Owen runs in, does the same to Brett, and the ref's like, oh, "Fair is fair." Then everyone runs in, and it gets tossed out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is actually a bitching aside. Quite a quite an awesome match. Was, these two had great, great chemistry. And um, do you, I mean, looking uh, I guess ahead to Diesel's run, given how he was booked in situations like this, not being able to beat Brett. Uh, <laughs> the, some of the talent he was matched up against. Do you, he somewhat feels he got a, a raw deal, which is, I mean, kind of comical. But <laughs> think about it, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe they could have done a bit better by him. It is funny because Nash and Brett separately have talked about how they were being so set up to fail at the same time. So I don't know what that says about grand <laughs> machinations and... Maybe more was just not the best idea for anything except match quality, which, when you do shows like this, is the only thing that matters anymore. But yeah, um, Brett, in all of the Diesel matches, the King of the Ring the year before, this one, and um, the Survivor Series, it's, it seems like he was about to lose all of them. Or this one, did this very one end with Diesel and the Sharpshooter, or... That was just one of the interferences, right? I think that was one of the interferences. Okay, so K- King of the Ring 94, 
Brett's about to lose clean to the jackknife and the anvil runs in. And then um, Survivor Series 95, Brett has been so thoroughly throttled, but he managed to get a, uh, a moxie small package with the perseverance of the hitman. So, and then at the same time, if I'm Nash, yeah, it is a a legit, probably in hindsight and foresight and sight, not a great idea for his first challenger to be the popular babyface whose spot <laughs> he was just handed, especially when the last guy they tried to do that with was very famously rejected at this previous Royal Rumble under the same circumstances. And then after that, we'll give you the other charismatic star of the company <laughs> who's half your size. And then after that, well, guess All right, what? We, guess what? No more small guys for you, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rumble itself, this is the year they did the 60-second intervals between entrants, and the Rumble only went 38 minutes. Everyone wrung their hands, gnashed their teeth about how this was terrible. It should be two minutes or some whatever indeterminate period they use nowadays. But let me read you the 30 entrants in the Rumble this year. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. <laughs> British Bulldog. Eli Blue. Duke Drosy. Jimmy Del Rey. Sione, Tom Pritchard, Doink the Clown, Quang, Rick Bartell, Owen Hart, Timothy Well, Bushwhacker Luke, Jacob Blue, King Kong Bundy, Moe, Mabel, Bushwhacker Butch, Lex Luger, Mantar, Aldo Montoya, Henry Godwin, Billy Gunn, Bart Gunn, Bob Backlund, Stephen Dunn, Dick Murdoch, Adam Baum, Fatu, and Crush. Like, holy shit, like, even at 30 seconds, this was a pretty boring rumble, and I don't know why they didn't grab guys from the undercard like they did, like, in past years. Why not put Jarrett and Razor and, like, say, whoever didn't win the world title in there? That really is weird. It'd be one thing if the working twice was, um, like, a post-Monday Night Wars thing, but just the previous year, I think, was when they were like, yeah, we'd better let some of these guys work twice. Get out there, Tatanka. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we have like ten people who are over. It's uh yeah. Uh that when when do you think the the loss of innocence over two minutes happened? Because I feel like even on into the early two thousands, before people realized that they just it had been ninety seconds and they didn't even realize it. <laughs> they the sanctity of the rumble. I don't know, when they finally gave up the ghost on that one. I'm not sure, but yeah, you're right, a lot of people. It went on, I mean, it was a thing. It was, certainly was, yeah. It was a thing for a long time. Do you need two minutes of uh, in-between? Because basically the match is Sean and Bulldog worked a match for half an hour, and then some <laughs> other idiots would occasionally pop in. <laughs> and Sean did like a, a faster junior version of the 92 Ric Flair deal, where you're just like, an arrogant heel who is a great wrestler almost falls out of the ring a lot. And they're like, no, I'm going to hang on to these ropes. Don't press slam me! <laughs> Etc. Indeed. So yes, uh, Sean won in the, I guess, somewhat famous false finish going from one all the way to the end where he skinned the cat and uh, went back in, tossed out the bulldog. And then wasn't there a battle royal on Superstars shortly after this where Lawler took that finish to its Memphisian extreme where he hopped on one foot for the duration of a battle royal until Bret yes. Hart punched him? 
<laughs> or or may, yeah, maybe that was closer to in your house to set up the uh, their return of their feud. Mm. Uh, the next night on Raw, the Smoking Guns won the tag titles from Kid and Hawley, so all that tournament was quickly rendered moot. The match uh, did feature an early Famouser and the first meeting of future GHB teammates. And future DX teammates. Also true. And Billy Bart, future New Midnight Express. Oh, you're right. It's wow. all there. <laughs> it's like a Rosetta Stone of <laughs> future things. Um... Yeah, that was some uh, John Cena Rey Mysterio shit by the guns. I don't know what that yeah, really was. Yeah, like the guy. Well, I should review last year, but the guns weren't hurt. They just got pulled out of the tournament for whatever reason. I guess to do a quasi feel good story where undeserving people won the tag <laughs> titles. All right, life uh, would be better marginally, I think, if the Kid Genetti team, or maybe that was impossible because Genetti got fired before. Like a month later, when they yeah. won the belts, and then uh, this team could have had maybe just a little run with the belts because they were very good. Or you know, a Sean Walton one man show at the time was very very good. Mm-hmm. On to February, because of what happened with Lawrence Taylor, uh, Bam Bam was suspended for thirty days. He was supposed to apologize to Taylor, but there were some technical difficulties. Later, Bam Bam kept goading LT, calling him a punk, and eventually they made a match for Mania. Uh, curiously, uh, Taylor worked an angle for WCW back in, I think, early 91 when he accompanied Lex Luger to the ring. On the same show, Flair beat Sting to win his seventh world title. So the WF poached Taylor in a way, but WCW responded by grabbing Steve McMichael for Nitro. Yeah, Ken Dorn Sr. or Jr., not as much interest. <laughs> Uh, Shawn Michaels, having won the Royal Rumble, was on a collision course with his old bodyguard, Diesel, since there was a job opening. <laughs> he replaced him with Sid, the former Sid Vicious slash Justice. Sid, by the way, was fired from WCW in late 93 for stabbing <laughs> another wrestler. So the uh, Federation was pretty desperate for talent at the time. Although I can't imagine this happening today. Maybe it would, I don't know. Sid never did jail time or anything. That is, well, it was European law, so. <laughs> that was okay. Yeah, that was, uh, if you don't make it to Nuremberg, it's good to go. <laughs> that is, yeah, it's crazy. Like, Sid Udy not only left the WWF in grievous violation and circumvention <laughs> of their new, important at the time, serious drug policy, but then, uh, Nary... Uh, a little over a year prior, stabbed another wrestler, a prominent wrestler everyone knew, and lost his spot as WCW's uh, intended number one babyface. Yeah. They were like, sure, get, I guess, let's just keep doing this for another five years until he can't walk anymore. Sid's going to click eventually. Uh. Oh, yeah, I neglected to, you neglected Seriously, to mention what Shawn Michaels also won at the Royal Rumble. What was that? On the companionship or supportitude of Pamela Anderson, <laughs> Nay Lee. Or she was not Nay Lee yet. I don't think that's how Nay works, but the future Mrs. Anderson Lee. Yes, Nay, I think, indicates the past. That was the name you were born with. So, so she is now Nay Lee, I assume. 
No, she was not born with that name. Oh, shit. So it's not just when you lose the name? Okay. No. Sid, nay, justice, nay, vicious. <laughs> anyway. That's also why they had to shorten that Royal Rumble, you realize, because she would have been too bored watching Dick Murdoch do headbutts to head shrinker Fatu if they were two-minute intervals. Like, she was barely able to stay awake for that, and they would cut to her being like, what is... Oh, man. Oh. I am a superstar. It's true. I'm an incredibly prominent part of the zeitgeist right now. And then she came in at the end while Shawn Michaels, who was allegedly just a sexy boy, an irresistible man, and she acted like he was (laughs) gyrating in front of her (laughs) to a song being self-sung. Yep. Not an incorrect response, but perhaps not what they would mm-hmm. be looking for. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Uh, on to March. Speaking of jail, Crush got busted after his house in uh, Kona got raided, and steroids, drugs, and semi-automatic <laughs> handguns were found. I assume at the behest of Master Food. <laughs> He's a terrible manager, right? <laughs> if we have one right. ongoing theme of this show, his advice was just, here, <laughs> keep these for me. <laughs> I'm shady as shit. Have you heard about my hilarious rib where I killed someone's pet on purpose? I'm a huge scumbag, probably. Hi, Beast. Crush it. It was either that or some kind of, like, preparation for a Disciples of Apocalypse militia secession type act, probably. That's why they all left at Mm -hmm. the same time. Yeah, who needs a semi-automatic gun in Hawaii? Seems a little off to me. Why? I mean, who needs a gun when your two hands can scramble someone's brain if you (laughs) put a bit of pressure on it from behind them? Crush was uh, also let back later on. And this was the beginning of his jailbird phase. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Men on a mission. And the smoking guns had a match on the action zone in which the guns prevailed, and then uh, Mom attacked them post-match. The next week, they called out the guns to apologize, but then attacked them again. Oscar pleaded with his charges to stop until they attacked him, too, and put him out of wrestling with a Mabel leg drop. So I guess they were just... Mm, <laughs> this all sounds uh, enormously superfluous, but this actually affected main event booking later on in the year. I believe it was supposed to... Well, this is not what you mean, but just supposed to set up a hot... <laughs> tag title program for Wrestlemania 11 and then before that point they were like no we can maybe do a little bit better yeah uh, we have not yet mentioned Stephanie Wyand she was a backstage announcer kind of the Renee Young of uh, in the Renee Young role she was not great but a bit above Todd Pettengale I'd say and um, it's funny and this isn't a knock toward her but if the WWE was trying to hire for this position today she sent in her 8x10 I don't think she'd get a call back yeah, in that respect, she was no Renee Young, my friend. No, she was very lacking in in other respects too. She was her and Todd appealing to listen. <laughs> right, she and Todd had this weird like kid brother kid sister thing where they'd be like, "What's going on with the superstars? <laughs> Shut up!" <laughs> ah. what, Did um, you hear about Ben on a mission? And the Oscar goes too. <laughs> Yeah, that really undermined whatever point they they would be trying to get across at the time. But I uh, what what's keeping me going on these shows is as you talk about the 
like syndicated D show hostess, I know we grow ever near to the Marissa Mazzola era. Mm. So close. Actually, not that close. Well, maybe ninety-eight, ninety-nine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what uh, what happened to her. We know Todd went on to become a DJ. Sean Mooney did the local news in my area for a bit, which is very disconcerting. Mm. I'm used to him telling me what was coming up at the Boston Garden in uh, a few weeks' time, and not, you know, important news, but what have you. That, yeah, that is weird. If he would, did he have the same gravitas? <laughs> Thereabouts, yes. He like, and here. With a few pre-recorded comments, the arsonist. <laughs> Will you know something? <laughs> burn, baby, burn. That's what I say. And in two weeks, it's all coming down. Is the arsonist Jimmy Hart? <laughs> Jimmy Hart is this. My one half impression. Uh, and if you do it faster, it's Jerry Lawler. Ha ha. <laughs> there was um, a very strange angle where Barry Horowitz was granted an intercontinental title shot against Jeff Jarrett. He got interview time before the match, and he lost but wanted a rematch. Jarrett agreed and produced a contract, but Bob Backlund attacked Horowitz and signed his name instead, so he got the match. And I don't think that's how that works in general. WrestleMania 20, homie. Oh, that's true. I guess his precedence now. Mm-hmm. So we had two heels against each other, but Razor Ramon was mad since if Backlund won, he'd be out of his title shot at WrestleMania. So he attacked Backlund during the match and cost him the title. All strange, but it did set the stage for future doings with one Barry Horowitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I should have used some kind of uplifting light motif because it's not a dominant <laughs> story. Right? No, not really. Dun dun dun. Uh, after a cage match with Tatanka to settle their feud, uh, Lex Luger found himself attacked by the corporation, and the British Bulldog made the save. They decided to start teaming up as the Allied Powers, since both men were from different countries. Uh, surprising demotion for Luger. I guess they decided they had Diesel, Brett, Undertaker, and then Sean as their top faces, and they had likely jobbed him into oblivion. Why not a tag team? But wouldn't a heel turn have been better? I know he had the, the history of flip-flopping <laughs> and... But, you know, it would have been two turns in two years, not counting the whole, you know, the whole angle where, hey, you're going to be a bad guy. No, I'm not. And then perhaps that would be a little have much to have next yeah. be a bad guy. After he'd been exonerated so thoroughly, like Vince himself. That's right. No, but, I mean, look at how, like, the, there are no heels, especially once we get past WrestleMania, when it's Sid and the corporation. And, I don't know, then, like, Jeff Jarrett running around. Luger could have slid <laughs> right in. Like, I don't know, the matches wouldn't have been that much better, although he would have been working with some very talented baby faces. And he did, I think, or no, when, um, right before he left, the bulldog turns, and then they assumed Luger was going to, and the same thing kind of happened, right? He was like, hey, nuh-uh, wait. <laughs> I'm fine. USA. But yeah, he would have slid in nicely and uh I mean I I don't know, some kind of instead of Luger Tatanka and Tatanka accusing him of selling out, it should have been Luger and the Undertaker, and Luger accuses the Undertaker of selling out, and then Luger sells out, and then Luger can go with Ted and take the money and save himself a lot of uh King Kong Bundy splashes. <laughs> Was the Luger-Tatanka cage match on the march to WrestleMania? 
can't remember. I want to say it was on a Raw. Oh, okay. Not the... Because if they had... Brett Owen was on the March to WrestleMania, right? I believe that's true. And you get the pun in March to WrestleMania, Jim? Yes, because it took place during March. Yeah, but it's... Also, they were... Say it. Prove it. Prove your comprehension. <laughs> it took place in March, and it was the March to WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yep. I guess WrestleMania would have felt like less of a completely forgettable show if it had a Brett Owen blow-off and a probably sucky but storyline coherent Luger Tatanka blow-off. Are you stealing my points of rebooking WrestleMania 11? I don't... I had likely set this up last time, but so be it. I'm sorry, I forgot that was a thing. These were only That's two okay. that occurred to me. Well, if you, when you give me the option, I hope you still do, I will not put Luger Tatanka on that show, I don't think. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Um, speaking of WrestleMania, it was it was largely set up. You had uh, LT Bam Bam and Diesel Sean as your main matches, plus they added Brett and Bob Backlund in an I Quit match, uh, Taker Bundy and Jarrett Razor. You, you would think uh, Guns Men on a Mission, but it was set up as Owen and a mystery partner getting the shots, and that mystery partner was rumored to be Chris Benoit, which would have been fascinating, but it wasn't. Although he did work some dark matches in, I believe, June of that year. That's bizarre. Hey, remember when I let him bring this up to you for the first time? When the <laughs> Brian Kendrick, shortly before his ultimate demise, uh, did that thing where he was looking for the perfect tag team partner on Raw to no doubt and still not get pushed and win any matches? And then it seemed just to be like some dumb thing where he and Matt Stryker would get squashed by whoever, crime times and such. <laughs> yeah. And then it ter- comes, out, comes out that like he wanted Brian Danielson for that spot, and they were talking to him, and then it just didn't happen, and Danielson didn't sign until after the Brian Kendrick was gone. That's a shame. That would be weird, but it's like it's not that much more of an auspicious start than Brian had. Where he's getting pushed and buried simultaneously. <laughs> also known as his current one. Oh. Uh, I'm just checking the history of WWE.com. They're showing uh, Sunday Night Slam. It doesn't specifically say March to WrestleMania. I don't know if that was a subheading or you're just misremembering. What? I thought there was always, which is to say once or twice, a March to WrestleMania and a Summer Slam spectacular. Hmm. Oh, well, to be determined. Damn. Um, oh, it looks like... Yeah, it looks like the Luger Tatanka did take place on that, along with... Well, I guess Brett Owen did not. Brett Owen, no holds barred, took place on Raw. There you go. This is right. an immense personal setback, but I just put in quotation marks, March to WrestleMania, and it seems like they were... A preview show before WrestleMania 8 with some squashes, same thing for 9, and same thing for 10. And not 11. The one where I wish it was a march to WrestleMania. And nary a march to be had. Damn. Alright, on to WrestleMania 11. Um, In recent years, people often say, well, this just doesn't feel like a WrestleMania. Well, no, this show (laughs) did not feel like a WrestleMania. First of all, it took place at the Hartford Civic Center in lovely Hartford, Connecticut. So I guess they won the bid that year. (laughs) I mean, I, I know they did it because of the proximity to the New York market, but why not somewhere in, like, New Jersey and not, you know, Hartford? Yes, this WrestleMania seems like how they would, they would have other Royal Rumble house shows for 
local markets. Like, was it was it your market who would have its own Royal Rumble sometimes? So it seems like they had a WrestleMania house show for, <laughs> for the Hartford market. And then in preparation for the real show, they had uh, some pertinent point. I mean, it's not, it's not a terrible show. A lot of it's just boring and, and really pretty pointless. And, I mean, the, the main event, starting with the good, the main event of Bam Bam and Lawrence Taylor was actually shockingly decent. Joining the, the Mr. T-Tag from Mania 1 and uh, Floyd Mayweather Big Show in the pantheon of celebrity matches. At least they got Lawrence Taylor for this and not some prominent Hartford Whaler of the day. I guess Brendan, <laughs> I Brendan Shanahan, if he hadn't been forced out by... The evil Mike Keenan yet. That's a lot of Hartford Whalers knowledge. Um, Ronnie Franchise. <laughs> Sean Burke. And, again, I don't want to... This is in no way an internet bullying, but you go from Reba McIntyre, a real person, singing the anthem, and Aretha Franklin whenever she did it. Three, right? Okay, so that's far away. But And then, I believe... The, the the anthem was sung by someone who was just announced as a very special Olympian. Is that right? Mm. I think so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, no comment, but I don't know. The glitz and the glamour and the pageantry, and a very nice gesture to some woman who could sing. Yes, Kathy Huey was the name. Performed America the Beautiful to open the show. <laughs> there you go. And um, uh, Sean Diesel's Good, although I thought Brett got more out of uh, Diesel. And I, I know they want to turn Sean face. Though. It's weird to see him fight back against the guy a foot taller than him and get screwed out of the title thanks to Sid. Because uh, Sid caused the ref to twist his ankle, checking on him and missing a pinfall. Also, Sid cut the turnbuckle with a knife or scissors. <laughs> he, um... Sean uh, was supposed to be catapulted into it, but Sean missed and hit the second buckle. And then Diesel powerbombed Sean on his ass and got all the ladies because they don't want to have sex with him. That was so unfair because by winning the Royal Rumble, he was contractually stipulated to the accompaniment of Pamela Anderson and all of her insight into Diesel's offense (laughs) and things he could do. Which if she was like, we'll mostly bounce around for him, uh, get maybe a minute of heat with a chin lock. And uh, yeah, although I mean... Oh, Jenny McCarthy and Pamela Anderson posed with Diesel at the end, but there was like a Nick Turturro method acting mystery where he tried to find Pamela Anderson, and then was Sean... Did Jenny McCarthy accompany Sean to the ring? I think so, yes. Okay. Well, I mean, at the time, I would consider that an upgrade, although that was before her true weirdness would eventually come out. Although, I mean, at the time, yeah. even singled out era Jenny McCarthy had that armpit fart comedy obnoxiousness. <laughs> Did you ever see her sketch comedy show? No. On, uh, it was no good. <laughs> I just remember, like, oh my god, like, really? But, anyway. <laughs> I was going to ask you about, uh, I guess there are two Sean versus Diesel matches, and then a handful of Brett Diesel matches. I don't think the cage match from No Way Out or whatever that show is is Rage in the Cage. I want to say canonical because of somebody had broken ribs and they couldn't really work a match. Mm. That goes into Brett's conspiracy theory. <laughs> I the world champion only won because Diesel was transported to another dimension. <laughs> but that's a story. Also, just day. to uh, answer your prior point, um, that was a match that 
made Kevin Nash decide to leave the company mm-hmm. because Brett refused to take a jackknife before uh, The Undertaker arose ah. from the... Uh, and he thought that did not serve um, the uh, upcoming Diesel uh, Undertaker feud right. well, mm-hmm. even though it did no favors to Brett. Yeah. But anyway, so there you go. So if you're asking me who I thought did better by Diesel, Brett or Sean... I would say, I would say yeah, I would say the best match is the Diesel's last pay-per-view match, the Sean match, but oh, the average goes to Brett. Yes. Because the Mania match, I think it won the PWI match of the year, but I didn't think it yeah. was that amazing. I mean, it was good, obviously, but, you know. Yeah, it was, but not, no. <laughs> Clearly not. Uh, speaking of stars, there were plenty of them on the show. <laughs> sort of. Uh, <laughs> Salt and Pepper. Wrapping uh, LT down in the ring. Nick Totoro, as previously mentioned, and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Teen heartthrob star of uh, Home Improvement. JTT schooled MBB at chess, and it was only then that I knew that wrestling was fake. <laughs> there was no way this punk could beat a fully grown man at chess. <laughs> I'm actually very surprised uh, Mr. Backlund did not challenge JTT to a rematch on his speech on <laughs> It would have fit right in, I feel. What a run. Amazing. Uh, Maybe Yokozuna we wouldn't was... be in this government shutdown <laughs> if Bob Backlund had been president for the last 14 years. <laughs> I don't think it works, though. I don't know if he pulled an FDR. Mm-hmm. I think there's a um, amendment prohibiting people from running more than two terms. I'm sure he would have turned it. <laughs> there was he probably would have had like Vice President Dean Douglas, and then in 2000 uh, would have came on in an advisory capacity for President Kurt Angle. So <laughs> there you go. the trend with those <laughs> presidents. Screwed up an interview, and Kurt would have made an angry face. Uh, let's see. Yokozuna was the mystery partner, which so seemed random, but as Owen pointed out, he was the man who beat his brother Brett for the title, so it uh, worked out as Yoko could do his brief spots and rest, and Owen could do the handle the rest of the workload, and it's uh, just a shame the Allied Powers name was just taken. It could have been the Can-Ann connection. <laughs> Team um, Polynesia A. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a. <laughs> uh, we can both agree that I nailed that one. Yeah. I'm not going to do that one again on the third show. That was exclusive <laughs> to the second. <laughs> but it, no, it is weird that uh, Owen and Yokozuna are the respective nemeses of British Bulldog and Lex Luger. Mm. Almost as if they were given the tag titles to set up a hot program that mm. was more like, I think, one match on some show. <laughs> yes, in your house. Uh, critical King of the Ring draws, you Tom. Last time uh, Razor and Jeff Jarrett was okay, had a DQ ending. Uh, tag opener was nothing. And Brett kicked off his year of hell in <laughs> earnest by getting his win back against Mr. Backland. Also, Bundy Taker was awful, like a dark horse candidate for Undertaker's worst Mania match. I can't believe you have to replay this for WWE 2K14. Like, Bundy looks so bad. And the story here was DiBiase had the urn, but Undertaker, like, seriously just beat up Bundy <laughs> from the beginning of the match, got it back, Kama stole it again from Paul Bear, but the Undertaker still won. So what was the problem? 
Right. He, um, you know, is that the only match from WrestleMania 11? No, Sean and Diesel must be in the game and on the Yeah, game. it is. Do you think it's just because they had an Undertaker made and a King Kong Bundy made? So they're like, that could be one, I guess. Because I don't think <laughs> I don't there's two-match minimum from each Mania. I don't think so, no. Huh. Maybe they had a Bundy left over from uh, from two. and uh, Right. You know, an Undertaker, I'm sure, popped from up before that. And they're like, hey, we'll save ourselves some time here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's... So can you recap that again for me? The, this urn sequence... <laughs> it was all right. Uh, DiBiase had the urn beforehand because Kama stole it at the Rumble, right. or Bundy stole it. They had stolen it at the Rumble. Undertaker beat up Bundy at the beginning of the match and then took back the urn, gave it to Paul Bear, who lost it to uh, Kama, but the Undertaker still won. Now IRS never got the urn. IRS just tried to run in on a. Yokozuna casket match and got kicked and then decided, well, I may as well lose to The Undertaker. <laughs> I believe the so, urn yes. capers began in earnest at the Rumble. Yes, would you... So this is the year where The Undertaker is a serial commercial cartoon character <laughs> who keeps coming so close to eating delicious cereal only to be thwarted in the final seconds and the chase oh, begins in two. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would his cereal be? <laughs> I believe the, the, the quorum we came to was that his cereal would be marshmallows made up of everything that comes off of his personage in the um, whatever that video game is where Vince McMahon says boom shakalaka. <laughs> the either WrestleMania the arcade yeah, game. Yeah, so it would just be like spirits and spider webs, tombstones, old school. Death Valley Dots. <laughs> There'd be urns I mean, in there, I'm sure, and probably like fat Paul Bear marshmallows. <laughs> I believe Tombstones was uh, the name we bestowed upon the Oh, oh apostrophe yes, right? Oh, yeah. So apparently there would have to be some O's in there. Oh, you know why there would be O's? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Tombstones. <laughs> Then we I think for Christmas we'd release an, an a special edition with like double wide, double deep casket berries. <laughs> no, the box would be like two, like the WrestleMania. Oh perfect. <laughs> yes. That's what you can get at uh, Costco and things like that. <laughs> Undertaker cereal, American caloric edition. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to rebook this show. Yes, I forgot that was a thing that happened. I'm sorry to... Uh, um, I would dump the Backlund match, have Brett Owen in their no-holds-barred match, too. From not the march to WrestleMania. No, from whatever that show was. I would add the Luger-Tatanka cage match here. I would add uh, Alundra Blaze and Bull Nakano and have Yokozuna win a battle royal. And maybe push out the... uh, Maybe have the Smoking Guns win the tag titles here instead of the day after the Rumble. Yeah, Guns versus Kid and Holly just to have a a very good match on the show. It's useful. (laughs) Um, or Yoko could be the f- first ever post-WrestleMania Raw huge surprise return. 
Um, let's see here. <laughs> yeah, Brett Owen instead of Brett Bob is a no-brainer. Undertaker needs any other opponent. <laughs> I don't care if it's the roadie. <laughs> Someone book an Undertaker opponent that will you'll at least have a slightly more enjoyable time when you're watching the history of the streak on Netflix. <laughs> um, 18 years later. I don't know who. Jake Blue. <laughs> Mantar being a beast and a savage, it's odd that he never had a run with the dead man at the time. His run was very, very short, so... Yeah, I don't know. Think they got to it. It's, it's, it's a tough call. If they, they just give him a mystery opponent, and then a casket is wheeled down, and then it opens, and Yokozuna gets out, and Yokozuna's back. He's <laughs> like, oh my god. Well, this time for sure. Oh, no. And then, <laughs> let's see here. Yeah, all that makes sense. Um, also, I would not hold it in Hartford. Oh, there, there is that. <laughs> An important step. You should just hold it in your house, then, if it's your yes. WrestleMania. <laughs> um, God, I don't know. I would put the Heavenly Bodies on the show doing something, since sure. everything on this car is bad. Actually, the the radical thing we talked about last time that was intriguing, maybe um, Diesel and Sean don't break up in the end of 94... Yeah, 94? Yeah, we're in 95. That show we've been talking about doing for years. Yes. Uh, so Brett is the continues his reign as like the face of the ch- company spot that he never really had during this time because they kept being like, I think we can do better. Nope, we can't. <laughs> so Brett is the fighting champion. Sean wins the Royal Rumble. And then Sean and Diesel break up the next night in the same angle they did with Sid. And then Diesel is the top heel and Brett and Sean are the top baby faces. And then maybe things are just a little more balanced and guys are put in better roles. There you go. And then it'd be yeah. a match one year in the making when they have uh, their WrestleMania 12 match. And Sean gets the win back and they're both happy and Montreal never happens and Owen's still alive. We did it, show. <laughs> we fixed history. <laughs> maybe we can leap back into our own time. <laughs> tech war. <laughs> we prevented the tech war. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Alundra and Bull Nakano may have been the best match on the show, for all I know. Oh, that's true. Yeah, she was quite good. Uh, they started doing the, uh, for over 50 years, uh, intro. And I'm not sure where they get that figure from, since they've been doing the 50 years currently. So they would have put them in the 40s, and I'm not sure. I mean, it's I'm sure wrestling was going on. Seems seems a little dubious. Some kind of Jess McMahon shit, for all <laughs> sure. never even existed. <laughs> Jess, Rod, all of the McMahons. They should be in one of those video games. <laughs> like, why can't? You, why hasn't Vince Senior been in a video game yet? I don't know. What would he do? Mostly just slaps. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant would he be a playable character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> why not? With Bruno signed, it seems like. And increasingly finite amounts of things to do. You should do, like, instead of Attitude Era mode, you should play as WWWF mode. Kids will go crazy. <laughs> Here are your moves. <laughs> Punch, kick. There you go. 
Also, you can't see the ring because it's too smoky. Smash buttons to break bear hug. <laughs> and the storyline mode would always go <laughs> count out pinfall cage match. Ring. If you're a heel, you have to lose with it. <laughs> um, no, but Do you want to uh, still I... over fifty years, so that's not wrong. Well, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Do you want to? Add your sliding scale yes. theory. Yes, this is what I learned from an internet man named Dr. Unlikely, who pointed out that the reason it's over 50 years then and over 50 years now is they have a sliding retroactive continuity akin to The Simpsons, which is what allowed Stephanie McMahon to be repurposed as the big childhood friend. <laughs> and there you go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the next night on Raw... They set up a rematch between Sean and Diesel, and during an interview segment, Sean acknowledged Sid's screw-ups and told him he would have the night off for the rematch. This made Sid irrationally angry, because who doesn't want the night off? Because Sid is known for nothing but his perfect attendance and his work ethic. (laughs) And his good attitude as he attacks you. (laughs) Fucked up his own finisher. Legit injuring uh, HBK. Although uh, Kevin Nash said uh, Sean faked the injury and called him a teacher, saying he only wanted to work nine months a year. Damn lazy teachers. Whereas I called you on the carpet and said, I read in Sean's own book that Vince came up to him and said, returning you babyface, you're off for two months, and Sean took a vacation. (laughs) So I don't know. Yes, the bastions of truth that are (laughs) Sean Michaels' biography, a Kevin Nash suit interview... And noted journalist Joe Gagne, and maybe we can get Sid to weigh in on this <laughs> to have all the experts. And then me, notorious liar, I made that whole thing about Sean's book up. So, no, I don't know. That should be a question for mailbag at wrestlingobserver.com that he will say, mm, I don't remember, and never follow up on. <laughs> Brian, I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> the Cubsman.com will correct me in the issue thread. <laughs> Only one this week. I was a little mm-hmm. let down. Factcheck.tcf. <laughs> By the way, did you uh, know the Cubs fan shouted us out on his figure four daily appearance? Really? It's in my he did. He said, Q. look forward for uh, for this show coming up if you like these things, he said. <laughs> hey, Brian, remember these guys you talked to in 2007? <laughs> <laughs> Before you had actual guests. Mm-hmm. When you just needed warm bodies. <laughs> Well, that's nice, our, yeah. That's behind, our, like, 12 Paul F. Tompkins uh, comedy shows, so I'll get to you, Cubs fan. A national treasure. I listen to the Cubs fan talk to you, and I hope that you renumber that show to come after my, this one, because that's... we. we I got there ahead of him. I want whatever number that is. It has deep sentimental value to me. 71? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. That was actually the first show you have not uh, appeared on since our reboot. Oh, man. Even the non-annual shows, uh, but the uh, No Holds Barred and uh, the updated history of WrestleMania. I mean, I know one of your pals is available again, and I'm normally I wouldn't be fine with that because I feel like I'm this far away from getting my name on the marquee, <laughs> little italicized Aunt Justin somewhere. I don't know whether it's you and me versus the world or you versus the world and me. <laughs> the nature of this tangent I'm on right now, I would say, is you versus me. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think in the, our continuity, it's established that I have executive producer stuff, which means I now, 
I got paid for the last show. Thank you very much for that because I put the time in. Uh, I, we're on a not an annual salary, but a time card thing. So that was two hours and forty five minutes of free money, money you could not give to the March of Dimes. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah, anyway. definitely take all that out and let's go on. <laughs> all right. Uh, also on that post-Raw show, Alinder Blaze won uh, the woman's title back from Bull Nakano, but was attacked afterwards by the wrestler to be known as Bertha Faye, working a comedy gimmick because she was so fat. <laughs> uh, Faye injured Blaze, requiring her to get surgery, that surgery being a boob and nose job. And what an icky, icky paragraph to read. She had a chest cold. <laughs> hey, remember how uh, Kama stole the urn and threatened to make it into a necklace? He did. <laughs> I don't know where you go to do this. I don't know what transaction is like. It's that same place where you can um, have your pet changed into a keyboard or things like that. (laughs) (laughs) What, Etsy? (laughs) Yep. No, I'm bluffing because I don't remember taxidermy. But like creepy taxidermy or pragmatic taxidermy. He went in. He saw. He saw his like pimp friends. <laughs> I I can't go down this path without it seeming unintentionally racist about the African American experience in the 20th century United States. But yeah, he's some shady ass <laughs> guys melted an urn and turned it into a necklace. There you go. Uh, in retaliation, there were two Undertaker fans who sat in the aisle and left uh, black wreaths for Kama. Were not Shane and Stephanie, Mm-mm. contrary to urban legend. Were they the creatures of the night? I believe so. That was their official moniker. They're just a couple of weirdos. Yep. <laughs> you know who they we were? They were, um, you know, that little boy and little girl in the Chris Jericho End of the World as You Know It videos? Sure. They're tech word right back in 1995. <laughs> grown adults. How about mm-hmm. that? And they said those videos were just cryptic with no payoff. <laughs> Speaking of the corporation, I don't know if we were or not, but uh, on the April 16th episode of Challenge... Corporation was on everybody's tongues. Super hot heel group. <laughs> Accomplishments were legion. <laughs> uh, Ted DiBiase introduced Sid as the newest member and crown jewel of the corporation and somehow new, no- new number one contender, even though I don't think he'd had a match at that point. Uh, they made it sound like it was all a master plan by DiBiase, where he suggested Sean should get a new bodyguard. And so, quite a Rube uh, Goldbergian uh, scheme there. Yes, he accomplished everything he set out to do, I guess. <laughs> anyway, they uh, they weren't treating Bam Bam too well at this point, so he had to uh, went off on his own, challenged Diesel to a title match, much to the surprise of DiBiase. So they had a title match on the April 24th edition of Raw. That's okay. Uh, both guys had flown back from Germany that day. But on commentary, they made it sound like only Diesel had. And uh, Bam Bam lost when Diesel accidentally tripped him. Afterwards, DiBiase fired Bigelow, had the corporation beat his ass until Diesel made the save. Bamer not only turned face, but acquired some wrist gauntlets that shot fire like he was Mega Man or something. It was, uh, yeah, a whole new attitude for Scott Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Promos for Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Uh, what does it get equipped with? Um, Bigelow Busters. <laughs> no, it's the Mega Busters, so it'd have to be something else, but you know. I hear you. Bam, man. 
<laughs> I designed, I'll show this to you, Joe Gagne's uh, video game arcade. Um, <laughs> uh, Mega Man for uh, with wrestlers is the robot masters. <laughs> Oh. And I'll put them in the thread that you make for the show if this one actually is recorded and gets posted. Something to look good. forward to. Spoiler, Dashing Cody Rhodes is Devin Air Man <laughs> because I did this three years ago. <laughs> uh, promos for Jean-Pierre Lafitte, the former Quebecer Pierre, now reborn as a pirate and supposed descendant of Jean Lafitte. He carried on the family tradition by stealing things from other wrestlers, mostly ring jackets. Like, you wouldn't get hauled into wrestler court for that. Like, if you do it if you don't shake hands, I don't know how they let that fly. With, uh, uh, right, that was Sean Stasiak's whole thing, right? <laughs> That's right. We also videotaped uh, people without their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Oh, was, uh, was Man Mountain Rock recording his uh, documentary this whole time? That secret, secret I, thing? Oh, I, I believe so, yeah. Remember when that was a thing? Yeah, it never will be. Mm. Uh, I like Lafitte, but the gimmick was a little too goofy for me. But I will rank the most important pirate gimmicks <laughs> in WWF history. Three, Paul Burchill. Two, Lafitte. One, the internet. <laughs> for the low, low buy rates they cost. There was an ongoing plot in our last show where I spent uh, like an hour and a half trying to remember the name of Hade Vanson. <laughs> or is Vade Hansen? I, it's Vade I guess Hansen, it didn't I take, but then it, this is where I reached the epiphany where I realized he was the internet pirate who was <laughs> putting all those smackdowns uh, that are air overseas on Thursday and let people watch it on a Friday afternoon because that's really important to do somehow. <laughs> Get that six-hour jump on SmackDown, and then you're living in the future. <laughs> You saw what everyone already read happen on Tuesday. Good work. <laughs> A new commentator debuted. Go Pirates, by the way. Cut the cards. What's it? Go Pirates. <laughs> Cut! A new commentator debuted, that being Doc Hendricks, the former Michael Hayes, freshly retired and repurposed as an irritating announcer. <laughs> This is, uh, I guess, another important moment for the modern WWF since he's still a vice president, I think, there. Even though, again, breaking news, apparently sent home for trying to get Rosa Mendez recovering alcoholic to drink. I, yeah. Moving along. I don't know. I know, but he has one of those um, FCW names, too, where they're like, Jimi Hendrix, rock and roll, Bad Street, and then I don't know... Where the doc comes from, whether I believe we established Doc Severin on the Tonight Show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, sure. But now I have done. I'm so confused. I don't know whether I asked Todd Martin this on the Hall of Fame show or <laughs> asked you this last time. But on the Triple H DVD with the footage of Hunter and Stephanie's wedding, do they have a Easter egg where you can see? A drunken Michael Hayes serenading them, uh, only for Linda McMahon to come up and say, Michael, please leave. (laughs) I think that was the Todd show, although I'm very glad you repeated it here. (laughs) But Uh, now, do we have clarity on whether Doc Hendricks led the raw rock and roll band, or whether that was an invented memory? (laughs) I think that was a figment of your I don't believe you! I think it was to compete with the Nanana Nitro Girls. 
<laughs> Which I don't think existed yet. I swear they played them out. Uh, we'll see. We'll leave it up to the listeners. Oh, in fact, with some a, a quotation mark to Google, it seems like we may be talking about something akin to that two shows from now. Okay. Hmm? On the uh, April 17th edition of Raw, Jerry Lawler and Vince McMahon interviewed Cornfed the Pig, who was, in fact, an animated character on the cartoon Duckman, also a USA original. Uh, of course, they talked to him during a Henry O. Godwin match. Other examples of actors appearing in character <laughs> are, let's quite famously, on Nitro, Shaft on uh, SmackDown protecting Crash Holly, and uh, a little underrated, don't forget G versus E. <laughs> they would be good King's Court guests. G, ideally. <laughs> E was evil. Um, Mick Gruber, although you, you said the whole guest host era was uh, um, not worth it. Too many, too much weirdness going <laughs> yeah. on there. Yeah, most of those are like physical three-dimensional people, though. Yes, they are. They are. Except the Muppets. Well, they're three-dimensional, but they're half a person. And they're still like, haha, Muppets. It's one of my great comedic pet peeves, people talking to the Muppets like they're real. Why do people like that? Anyway. Anyway. Duckman. The uh, one, two, three kid broke his neck in a dark match, teaming with the Razor against uh, Jarrett and the Roadie. Yes. Which some changes. For the fifth of 13 times. Mm. First, uh, it was Bob Holly getting a shot at Jeff Jarrett on the action zone. And uh, during the match, Jarrett pinned Holly with his feet on the ropes. A finish, I believe, Jarrett did in about 80% of his matches. <laughs> For whatever reason, Tim White came down and told Earl Hebner about this, who restarted the match. Later, Holly pinned Jarrett with a top rope clothesline, but Jarrett's foot was on the ropes, and Earl Hebner missed it again, so he made a real mess out of this, and Tim White was walking to the back, so he missed it too. They held up the belt, had a rematch the next week, and Jarrett won, so I don't much know what the point was. Just somehow this is not as Jack Benino big in Jeff Jarrett's storied 25 <laughs> intercontinental title reigns. Mm. No one's into that. Although, for <laughs> Jericho's ego to keep putting himself on top of the IC division just to break Jeff Jarrett's record was obnoxious. Ugh, when we get to the 2000 shows and we hear about that guy in his long blonde hair holding everyone down, carrying around that vanity IC title. Oy. Anyway, anybody debut this month? Uh, coming in May, a couple people, but first... They did a quickie title change where Razor beat Jarrett in a ladder match on a house show in Montreal on, um, is the day after May 18th. I don't want to come out and say it. Goddamn he became lucky. the, uh, first three-time IC champ. He lost it back to Jarrett, who also became a three-time champ two days later. So maybe that's why they did the Holly nonsense. I don't know. They acknowledged all this on TV, but still a little weird. And, uh, I think the Montreal show was promoted by, uh, Joanne Rougeau, who was, Jack and uh, Raymond's niece, I think, and it was her first show as promoter, so they probably did a favor for her. An all-American girl? <laughs> Speaking of debuts, we started getting vignettes for Hunter Hearst Helmsley, a man doing a Lord Stephen Regal knockoff, and um, I don't know what to say. What do you, <laughs> what, what do you say here? This, uh, I, what I will say is I uh, hated Helmsley the first few years. I thought he sucked and was overpushed and knew we'd be rid of him soon enough. Although, actually, revisiting all his old stuff, he was fine. <laughs> Although, uh, I <laughs> I like the idea that the snobbish uh, noble getting into pro wrestling, like, 
<laughs> when he comes down, he's all disgusted by the fans, and it's like, what'd you expect, you know? <laughs> like, what'd you think would happen? Yes, you... what was your goal here? <laughs> what do your parents Why think? did you pursue this in college? <laughs> uh, also, they viewing these people. Ugh. I just uh, want to be a sophisticated professional wrestler, an incredibly <laughs> well-respected profession. <laughs> uh, also debuting someone with a slightly lesser legacy than Triple H, grunge rocker Rad Radford. Justin, he was from Seattle. He didn't care about his appearance. He liked loud music. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> this was this was Louis Spicoli, by the way, and um, this didn't work for a couple reasons. First of all, he sounded like a, a surfer, and uh, also the Hey Dave grunge was uh, quite over at this point. And say what you will, but the Federation certainly has a better grip on cultural trends now. I feel the Black Hole Sun had already come by the <laughs> time Rad Radford was doing his thing. Yeah, he because uh, he was Spicoli. The Sean Penn guy, I think. He's a resemblance to him. Well, not really, but sort of. This is where it came from. And they were like, you know, surfers and their grunge music and their surfboards and their flannel and the ocean and all the rain. We all know what we're talking about here. Checks out. Not the enjoyable kind of man mountain rock and roll. (laughs) What is this stuff? Just mumbling. It's just mumbling, man. The thing is, uh, Spicoli was, like, actually a talented wrestler, and his style didn't really mesh with, you know, you would assume the the dirty brawler he was supposed to be. Right, yes. And then this is just, have your producer loop in the Dave Meltzer thing where he tells the story of how everyone in both national companies watched When Worlds Collide, and the only guy they signed was Madonna's boyfriend, Louis Spicoli. (laughs) Oh, let's see. Also debuting, uh, someone tied in to Rad were Skip and Sonny, the Body Donnas, who are Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch, doing an arrogant personal trainer gimmick. A uh, couple things here. Body Donna is a play on the term <laughs> Prima Donna, right? Which is an odd thing to call yourself. It seems like a nickname the crowd would say. Yes, you don't. You Prima Donnas are such Prima Donnas that they would deny that they are Prima Donna. Hmm. Not make that half their name. No. Uh, second, Candido was very talented, but my God, was he short! Like, there's a match with him and Sean on YouTube. <laughs> it resembles child abuse at points. <laughs> well, yeah, Mighty Mouse is that apocryphal or is that something that? Yeah, yeah, she was talking about yeah, that. Uh-huh. Sunny mentioned that on her uh, recent mm-hmm. AOW appearance. Mm-hmm. That was uh, an an early gimmick idea. Like that's why the Body Donnas, as little good workers, should have been. A decent babyface tag team, but again, they were still body donnas, yeah. which is, I guess, fifty percent body, fifty percent prima donna, or a hundred percent body. So, some good DNA uh, lessons. That's right. More to the point with Sunny. This was uh, the first big shift I was talking about. The way Sunny ended up taking off as a sex symbol, the most downloaded, blah 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 AOL. It's kind of a demarcation between the old women's wrestling and the divas of today, and I think Sable was definitely a, a key factor in that shift because she was actually in the ring. But Sunny was really kind of a line in the sand. They kind of gone that way with Alundra Blaze, not really though, because it was still kind of you know old school women's wrestling. They just decided to push every now and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alundra Blaze was a 
certainly a fit woman, and I think you'd want someone uh, like that if you want like a lead compelling female babyface to turn around the women's division of two people in the occasional Leilani Kai <laughs> squash. But uh, no, Sonny wasn't doing any Frankensteiners. No, but what's ironic is like yes, her, like her role in most of that time, except for the extremely controversial Farouk run and all the heat it drew, is simply not allowed. Uh, Sunny, incredibly charismatic and a great heel and a great wrestling performer, and she. Uh, the history of the WWF is a territory from Albano to the Grand Wizard to Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart to Paul Heyman today. And like even Vince McMahon, when he was doing his thing, was pl- uh, using that formula, essentially. Ted DiBiase and the corporation has to be the low point of all that, wouldn't you say? I would agree with that, yeah. So if we're if we're going to fix WrestleMania 11, I'll start with, like, Sonny's Honeys being the dominant heel group <laughs> and her... Getting the goat of uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and putting people in, in their path, which also, because they had such a good working relationship, prevents the Sunny Days comment, prevents Montreal, Owen's still alive. It's all, and the tech wars never came to be. <laughs> uh, another debut was, <laughs> we're getting in, we're going from... Uh, most important legacy to uh, lesser at this point is Techno Team 2000, composed of Eric Watson, Chad Fortune as Troy and Travis, a team of head a uh, team ahead of its time, I guess by five years. <laughs> Apparently, their first squash was so bad they had to retape it, which did not bode well. And I didn't even remember this until I was shown video footage years later. They were definitely two men. <laughs> team of the future. Do you think the the TLC matches of 2000 would have been much improved if uh, the Techno Team was the fourth one in there? If they were, they would just have to be called Techno Team if it was 2000. Yeah, they working. would. I don't know. Now, so the Dudleys have the tables. Edge and Christian have chairs, and the Hardy Boys have ladders. What would Techno Team have? Uh, some ray guns. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the techno team is from the Tech Wars, Joe? Oh my god. Oh, no. Which side of the Tech War do you think they were on? Uh the tech side, because they were from the future. Yeah. Oh, so you think the Tech War was technology versus humanity? I think so. That sounds about right. I assumed it was two sides battling in a Tron type scenario. Some kind <laughs> of bastardized Tron concept. I would say let's agree not to clarify that at any point. It's just uh, something we good. need to concern ourselves with. Maybe they would have so done uh, STFs since, um, remember Eric Watts STFing Arn Anderson in that gas station? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they could have had TLC STF matches. <laughs> That's right. The new breed was uh, from 2002. So <laughs> they even they went uh, further back in time to like 1986. <laughs> I guess... Time travel technology had improved in those two years. Right. Well, one is actual time travel, and then the other seems to be more of that the prestige cloning machine thing. Uh, We're just slightly over there. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Speaking of changes, the next big change was afoot, as the WWF went monthly with their pay-per-views. Uh-huh. With the debut of the first in your house. segue to the Kiss My Royal Foot match. Damn it. 
the concept being monthly pay-per-views to fill the gaps between the big five pay-per-views already in place, these new ones being an hour shorter and only fourteen ninety-five. A couple things here. They never came out and said they were going monthly, right? It was just like, you know, they announced, hey, pay-per-view, right before uh, King of the Ring. And it was uh, quite confusing to me. Right. There was no, I didn't read an Observer lead story about the daunting new plan to bleed the pay-per-view market dry. And, uh, yeah, the only, I, I assumed it was like the big six now, and I'm thrilled to know you saw it the same way. It was just, hey, here's a show called In Your House. And it happens in May. And then it rolled around again in July. Not that we're going to talk about it this time. But that July, <laughs> I got clarity on the issue by going right to the source in a bizarre way. Although today, I mean, I guess you could do the same thing, just tweet at this person. But <laughs> at the time, in 95, and it, and King of the Ring happened, and they're like, all right, as we all know, in your house, coming up immediately. And I was like, wait a minute, huh? And so I went to the chat room on the WWF on America Online and WWF Vic Venom was giving a chat and I was just like hey Vic Venom is in your house every month now and he's like it is bro (laughs) (laughs) probably yeah so okay there you go uh Second, I don't know. I don't know. Are there people who still pine for the days of four or five pay-per-views a year when we've been monthly for 18 years, much, much longer than they ever had quarterly pay-per-views or even less? And uh, it's funny now that we've seen TNA reduce their pay-per-views to a handful a year, and it seems they've lost a ton of momentum. And the fact that there isn't, like, an Observer Radio dedicated to just what's going on in TNA. <laughs> They're, like, the most afterthought. It's like, hey, Dave, you watched TNA this week? Like, yeah, it's okay. You know, run down a main event match result, and move on. It was, yeah, 12 pay-per-views to me was fine. It was only when they got, two things happened around 2004. They uh, went to 14-15 and tried to get that, to expect that not to completely collapse things and bleed everyone dry and make them realize pay-per-view was stupid at this point. (laughs) And they also just stopped promoting pay-per-views and really focused on TV rights and things like that. And even before they were lucrative, they are just like, we need a really hot raw. I'm a crazy person in a bubble. I'm not... <laughs> but, no, I mean, I thought in the Attitude Era, uh, 12 pay-per-views worked out nicely, you know? Some were, were especially when the roster depth was low, a struggle to get through. And um, But I thought the way they booked Raw, where you were building up to this collision course in a month, and then the next night you start all over again, worked just fine. It does. works fine in, uh, for New Japan, and uh, works fine here, I feel. Mm-hmm. Also, the name In Your House, like, <laughs> what is that? Isn't that every pay-per-view <laughs> comes to your house? Isn't that the point? It's, um, I don't know. Is it a house show? <laughs> They like the the setting was someone's house, <laughs> right? I don't understand. Well, it was in your house, but a house is not. I don't know. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. They... But Joe, <laughs> the, the important point of contention here is that the these ones were in your house. But so is every pay per view. Yeah, those are in your house, but this <laughs> <laughs> this one is uh, it's in your in your anyway. House. Remember when they had that castle for, like, the Armageddon show <laughs> that one year? And Undertaker threw Ken Kennedy off of it. A castle? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Cool. Mm. Anyway, the first in your house, which took place in your house, uh, was held on Mother's Day, May 14th. That was an okay show. This is where uh, Sid asked for a retape during the pre-show, leading to Jim Ross's, Jim Ross's immortal reply of, We're live, buddy. <laughs> and um, as for the show, I feel everyone has seen Brett and Hakushi, or at least you know about it. It was on Brett's first DVD. It was on the In Your House DVD. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's, uh, it's quite good. The rest of the show is very rushed. They've lasted through... Five matches is a little over an hour. Uh, scheduled to be a tag match between Razor and the One Two Three Kid against Jarrett and the Roadie, but with Kid's injury, it was changed to a handicap match that Ramon won, which is kind of <laughs> weird. Afterwards, the heels are beating Razor down. Who should make the save? Savio Vega, Caribbean wrestling legend, maybe perhaps uh, <laughs> the former Quang TNT. In case you were wondering. Also, we had Mabel beating Adam Bomb in a King of the Ring qualifier. And uh, should we have been alarmed that Mabel was spotlighted in such a manner? I don't think. I mean, it's been mm. an eight-person tournament. So he, he only had WrestleMania, a, man. <laughs> he only had a twelve and a half percent chance of winning. <laughs> yeah, but for Mabel to work three matches in one night, get right out of town. Indeed, uh, Yoko and Owen beat the guns. Brett wrestled again due to an angle where Lawler challenged him after he signed a match with Hakushi and uh, lost on Mother's Day. Main event was which Diesel is really, beat. really bad. Apparently, yeah. Can't do that, because uh, Brett has a mom. <laughs> uh, main event was Diesel beating Sid by DQ, and Tatanka interfered. Bigelow saved. Setting up our next main event. Um, <laughs> it's funny how they like really accelerated booking with these. Like, If they had been in your houses in 1994, would Owen have faced Brett the month after Mania? I think you would have had to, because that pin at WrestleMania 10 made him the only challenger, and that's the they main evented with that on the European tour, which I hope was called the April of WrestleMania or something, right <laughs> after that. And the March from WrestleMania? No, because it's April, man. See, this is yeah. why we were... <laughs> but no, go. it would have been. It would have been in your house 94, Brett Owen, Brett Owen. And that's why he was in a cage. And that's why Jim Neidhart attacked him at the end of it, because Brett Owen was done for. They ran it the whole time. I think, like, in 2002, if it was in 1988-style format, Hogan and Rock versus the Outsiders could have been the SummerSlam main event. Instead, it was the night after uh, WrestleMania 18. Oof. We look at Daniel Bryan and, and Randy Orton, where coming out of SummerSlam, it, they set up this big chase for Daniel Bryan in a very consequential angle, and they're like, well, I really, really have one match we can do right now. Let's keep doing it. <laughs> yep. But See you in November. I'm glad to know that unacceptable pay-per-view finishes like the last two didn't happen in the good old days like 1995. There you go. Anyway, uh, as noted, it was uh, about that time for the annual King of the Ring qualifiers, resulting in barn burners like Kama versus Duke Drosy. Although there was an Undertaker-Jeff Jarrett match that was uh, actually quite a bit of fun. Sean made his triumphant return, beat King Kong Bundy in a match that actually happened. <laughs> Uh, Diesel and Bam Bam came out afterwards and cemented Sean's babyface turn when he high-fived Diesel, forming the Two Dudes with Attitudes, which uh, was surprising because the Dudes with Attitudes was uh, Sting's short-lived anti-horseman group in 1990. Kind of pretty blatant rip-off there, I felt. And uh, if you watch it, it's really funny because Bam Bam is such an obvious third wheel in the <laughs> segment. The other two ignore him completely. He's and, not uh, one of the dudes. No, he's not a dude. He lacked attitude. I thought... Uh, um. I've seen, when I was 
I think, collecting WCW trading cards at the time? Holy crap, I don't even remember I did that. I thought that the two dudes with attitudes, or the four dudes, were really, really cool, because I thought it was Sting, Luger, Tom Zank, and Brian Pillman. Four cool-as-hell dudes. But then sure. I would see other stuff, and it seemed like Paul Orndorff was a dude with <laughs> yeah. attitude, and El Gigante, yep. maybe even JYD. Yep, so they, they were all in the... They seemed... <laughs> The DWA. Yeah, they seem to have neither dudes nor <laughs> attitudes. They were pretty loose with the, especially the attitude part of it. Speaking of, of which, I wish I could take credit for this, but we were so confused that an arrogant, heartbreak kid like Shawn Michaels would come out as a baby face, even though we had seen a wrestling angle where he was beaten up by a bad man, and then he came back all fired up, uh, fighting out of chin locks and doing flying. <laughs> all those kind of things. But my neighbor was so confused by this and almost dismissive of Shawn Michaels' new attitude that he said, this is a real thing that happened, and it's amazing, so get ready. Incredibly <laughs> yeah. clever. He said, "What's how, he's going to have to make new music because he's not... A, He's not a sexy boy anymore. He's a nice man. It's gonna, and then the lyrics he sung that I will never forget are: "This is how Shawn Michaels' new music is gonna go." Do 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 do. Oh oh, Shawn, I'm just a schoolboy, schoolboy. I like to read my books, read my books. <laughs> God, was he ever just a schoolboy? Oh, schoolboy, huh? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of schoolboys, someone won a match with that right now. I don't know that. that is. <laughs> uh, there was also an Owen Davy Boy match, uh, went to a 50 minute draw. Actually, a dark match from the first In Your House. So, pop quiz, Justin, <laughs> that you've already taken. <laughs> what do you do here? Do you rematch them? Well, according to the Genetti Doink precedent, or no, a perfect Doink precedent? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, match, match, two out of three falls match, correct? No, you take both of them out and put in two other competitors, those competitors being Yokozuna and Lex Luger, with Yoko winning by countout. Clearly something just to forward a tag title feud, although somewhat comical, Jacob Blue would get the call over. Two people a little higher up on the pecking order. Yeah, I mean, we are going to see the fruits of this labor soon, but I think it bodes poorly that you're naming all these qualifying matches and knocking Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, and David Boy Smith out of the (laughs) tournament. Mm. More for they, I can use the ominous uh, music there. <laughs> All right, on to June. There was uh, supposed to be an NBC special for June that would have rebroadcast the top two matches from Mania. That would have uh, been a pretty big deal. One of the stories was uh, one of the heads of NBC was on vacation when the deal was made. He got back and found out about it. It was next. Well, who's laughing now? NBC. <laughs> Actually, NBC is not doing half bad for the fall, but still. Uh, Jay Fox. <laughs> yeah. He's back, no. baby. Ugh. To the future. <laughs> Free. No, I I think that is the same way they brought Saturday Night Main Event back in 2006 <laughs> as the guy was on vacation. He just never came back. Uh-huh. And, or no, then when was Ebersol's plane crash? Because he could have been in a coma... And, like, Don Geis on 30 Rock and Vince went to his hospital bed with Clarence Mason uh, observing and forged his signature and was like, What's that, Dick? We're back! 
on a major broadcast network. Boom! Here comes the boom! <laughs> uh, the comparisons between um, uh, 30 Rock, Alec Baldwin character, uh, Jack Donaghy, and Vince McMahon <laughs> seem uh, fairly close, think about it in retrospect. I don't think Vince would have legitimate concerns about being inceptioned on the WWE jet. <laughs> why they were so uh, wary of having Heyman around for most of the 2000s. Something he'd be up to. Uh, another story was Brian Kendrick, right? He's DiCaprio. Oh, there you go. Wow. Uh, another story was David Stern nixed it since it was going to air right Nicks? before an NBA game. What's that? Nix. It's not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, not It'll eventually be one on show three. <laughs> I just heard the word and said something. That's how most right. of my comedy works. Uh, note from the Observer: The WWF is releasing audio tape biographies of Razor Ramon, Lex Luger, Diesel, and Shawn Michaels, <laughs> aimed at a young children's audience. I'm guessing those never came out because I would have heard about they them. I presume would have absolutely been something excavated by this point and poured over yep. some kind of Big Apple takedown <laughs> of its day. Because I mean, comma is one thing. Nash has a fascinating uh, biography himself. You take him early. Uh, he, a man from a junkyard. <laughs> uh, a wizard from the land of Oz. He, some kind of... Uh, well, he played basketball in Tennessee, right? Yes, So he did. that's right next to Kansas. <laughs> Is it? I don't know. They're both in the United States. Geography seems specious. The flyover states. And uh, <laughs> um, so Tennessee, Kansas, Oz... Then probably from Oz to Vegas. Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> he took the diamond connection from Oz to oh. Vegas. And then Detroit, yeah. A laborer. <laughs> and then uh, a uh, hip-hop man with blonde hair. Sure. He was down with it. <laughs> we uh, started getting vignettes from a man named Waylon Mercy. This was Dan Spivey doing uh, Robert De Niro's gimmick from Cape Fear. With a little Forrest Gump mixed in, I feel, because uh, he'd be all nice, but then the bell <laughs> rang, he went nuts. This was uh, interesting stuff that would probably work today that got uh, derailed, because Spivey was just too banged up and he didn't last long. Or spicy, as I actually <laughs> made my notes. Dan Spicy! <laughs> Which is the um, uh, disposable snack equivalent to the Undertaker uh, cereal. Dan Spicy's. Nice. I wish Eddie Guerrero was around or Waylon Mercy was around and Eddie he could have ridden under his low rider Cape Fear style and then come out to jump him afterwards. Oh, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. You'd think that would have happened, but it, I think it would have led to one of those Goldberg punching a window type accidents <laughs> for sure. Running someone else. Yes. Oops. <laughs> like when Alberto ran over Santa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you, have you recovered from seeing that one? <laughs> yeah. It was so good that I did not go to Raw on Monday. Oh. I wanted to go to get the Rumble pre-sale, and then I was like, wait, I've read so many pointless blurbs and updates about what pre-sales are for things I don't go to. I bet it'll come out somewhere. Has it? Yeah. I think the password is wrestling or something. <laughs> Rumble. <laughs> Um, no. Pre-sale. Well, you know what uh, my favorite part of the Waylon Mercy vignettes were? That, that amazing catchphrase he would say each time. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. <laughs> I don't think that was. 
you know, awesome, awesome dudes who could definitely translate those vignettes to uh, a successful wrestling act. And fuck Vince, fuck New York, fuck Titan for not letting them live up to their full potential. But when you were on Rexport Pro Wrestling at the time, did you think, like, the skyscrapers were coming in to take over the WWF and run roughshod? Didn't really make that connection, no, because... Oh. Uh I don't know if anyone really did. We were still all new to the internet thing back then. Mm, spicy. <laughs> uh, Bob Backlund decided to run for president. Uh, I guess he wasn't in the main event picture anymore. <laughs> Bob couldn't even get elected on Monday, so I don't know what. <laughs> yes. Well, he had to. He was. He paroded that election. <laughs> I knew that uh, the WWE Universe wasn't ready for a black special guest referee. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Quote from The Observer. WWF will induct the Grand Wizard, Ernie Roth, uh, Antonino Rocca, Fabulous Moolah, Lillian Ellison, Ivan Putsky, Joe Bednarski, George Steele, who does not get a parenthesis real name, Uh, Pedro Morales and Ernie Ladd into their Hall of Fame on June 24th in Philadelphia. The first person who talks about that list and reminisces about how the guys of that era, like the aforementioned group, were so much better workers than the guys of today, should be sentenced to 10 years of hard labor. That is, 10 years of watching Ivan Putski videotapes. <laughs> it's been said before, and will be said every year, but until they induct San Martino, whether he's willing or not, it will always come off more being nice to people who remain nice to them, and a yearly reminder of pettiness rather than awarding of achievement. Hmm. <laughs> and then Dave said, Control C, Control V, Control whatever the hotkey is for save. And then he had a macro on his Comedy 64. Comedy 64. <laughs> That's, <laughs> oh. That's a what a great skit pitch for the Jenny McCarthy show. <laughs> anyway, then he would use it for uh, the next 18 years. Sure. And then his voice is eventually heard. Joe, if you pictured Ivan Putsky doing hard labor, what? how do you foresee him? Is there some kind of implement or tool that he could use? Perhaps for, a hammer. Hmm. Eastern European variety. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. All right, we'll wrap this up here. King of the Ring 1995. Oh, this might take a while. <laughs> this, is, this is one of like probably one of the bottom five pay-per-views of all time, right? Yes. I mean, as a, I, I, like, indicative of a low point in time. Yeah, not just a random bad show that was just, you're like, ugh, and then you move on. Like, the the one where Paul Bearer got encased in cement. Like, I don't I don't know. That was pretty terrible, but we all moved on <laughs> after that. Uh, what was interesting about this... I think that was the is, first 13th pay-per-view ever. Hmm. Figures. Mm-hmm. What was interesting was Sean and Undertaker were on... Both in the tournament on the same side of the bracket, did you think, like, oh, this match is a possibility? Or did you think, you know, Sean beats Kama, uh, Kama causes Undertaker to lose, so Sean beats Mabel, and then Yokozuna in the finals to defeat a series of increasingly bigger and fatter men? <laughs> I think at the time, if I just, because you know I loves me brackets, I scouted them and seeded them and then looked at each match and said, well, who would win this match? And The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels definitely won all those matches and met in the mm. finals. You had a simulation program. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think TNM was invented yet. Um, no, I it seemed... 
pretty clear that Shawn Michaels won the King of the Ring, and as far as I know, he did. I don't know if I saw him actually before it happened, because as I was a dumb person who didn't know Vince McMahon was the owner, before we got to the tournament qualifying matches, I assumed that the British Bulldog was going to win the tournament because I thought it could only be won by members of the Hart family, according to the established <laughs> precedent. So I didn't know so where it was going to go from there, but I knew where it was going to go here. Uh, what actually occurred is... Uh, Sean had three hot matches, carried some stiffs, no. and be- what? No, uh, Sean making his triumphant pay-per-view return could not beat Kama. <laughs> they went to a 15-minute draw. Kama did interfere and caused Undertaker to lose, but this gave Mabel a run to the finals, a bye. Uh, what happened is Razor was hurt, so they had a play-in match between IRS and uh, Savio Vega. Vega won, and then... Uh, who did he beat? Oh, uh, he beat Yokozuna by count-out in the opening round. We were left with a final three of Mabel, Savio Vega, and the Roadie. <laughs> Savio beat the Roadie. This was our finals. Mabel and Savio Vega... Mabel fatted on him in a few minutes and uh, was announced the king of the ring. He was pelted with garbage by the Philadelphia crowd. Philadelphia crowd chanted ECW fairly loudly, and Vince Vince thought, heard the crowd, couldn't make out what they said, figured it must be chanting for the baby face, and listen to that. They were chanting, and, uh, we see Savio. <laughs> and they were chanting uh, EV 2.0. Is that what it was? The TNA ECW uh, team? Yes. To beat copyrights? Is that, wait a minute, is that the same thought process behind CZW? Is you just trick people? <laughs> that might be it. You know, your cool favorite that. company, ECW. ECW. <laughs> uh, like, picture if Titus O'Neil was really fat and a thousand <laughs> times worse, and he just won the King of the Ring and headlined SummerSlam. That's about what we got here. Well, he said uh, he was on a mission. <laughs> God, but, I mean, you're building a heel through a tournament, an endurance test. So he won a match, then he had a bye, then he beat a new guy who had wrestled three times already. Monster heel. <laughs> I guess at absolute worst, you could build Savio into the hot new Latino star by having him win four times and then mm. keep trying, even though Dolph Ziggler is better than him at every uh, <laughs> effort, keep putting him over him. <laughs> Gotta get that uh. Savio. Um, yeah. No, Sean won this. Come on. I know who won all the King of the Rings. Brett won 94. I mean, 93. Owen won 94. Sean won 95. Austin won 96. Foley won 97. The Rock beat Ken Shamrock to win 98. I think Triple H won 99. Said he was the game and he's bad now and he's going to be really good at wrestling. Suppose Kurt Angle won 2000. Edge one 2001, but if they wanted to hold another one in 2004, that might fit. And, yeah, Lesnar won 2002. So I don't know why people say King of the Ring wasn't a star maker. But look <laughs> at those names I just rattled off. Hey, now. Um, also, uh, we had uh, Brett and Lawler kind of blowing off their feud. The Kiss My Foot match, which saw Lawler uh, kiss his own foot and vomit <laughs> uh, in a very dull uh, tag main event with Diesel and Bam Bam being Tatanka and Sid where Sid just took off and Tatanka got pinned 
I mean, there's a little okay wrestling, but I mean, you could tell they were just doing all the wrong things. We'll say Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow versus Sid and Tatanka couldn't even be the 11 o'clock match on Raw. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, it was a dull, heatless affair. This may be the, this may be the low point in company history. Uh, that seems fair. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's how does Waller uh, kiss his foot though? I'm trying to do it right now. It's not uh, there, man. Red, Red helped them. Get someone, get a large Canadian to uh, shove your own foot in your mouth, and uh, you should be all right. Okay, come here. It wasn't really even I kissing the foot. Up. He just stuck his foot in his mouth. Yeah, I can't so. get... Oh, there we go. That's the toe. Oh. <laughs> but it was more... Did he get deeper than the toe? Uh, I to really this. Those feet were nasty, yeah. though, man. Think of what that does to your mouth. To kiss your own... Real I foot. guess it hurts your teeth. Yeah. Maybe. Right? Hygienically, we... You know, uh, it's getting there. If we keep, if I keep bending, if I get do my DDP yoga and make that <laughs> make that spine long, I bet uh, Bray Wyatt is doing DDP yoga. He learned a new thing from that. I bet that's a true story, that. not even that a joke. Hmm. Anyway, well, anyway, that's the. Uh, join us again. Uh, we'll be back pretty soon. The latter half of 1995. Lots of. Uh, Things occurring in that, including uh, Justin attends uh, SummerSlam that year. Sure do. Yep, you did, and uh, probably more Tech War stuff. Uh, ideally. Tech Wars didn't happen in the first show, let me tell you this, audience. That's a new vein we tapped. And got it is. We, we rode that. We fracked the hell out of it. So it, should we just tape a safety right now in case? I think we're okay. Right, well, let's just to be sure. Just give us a how's it going, everybody, and we'll do the whole thing, and then we'll have a, we'll have a backup uh, if we need it. No, I think we're, it's uh, eleven o'clock here, eleven ten to be precise. So, uh, All right. I think we're good. We'll we'll be back in a little bit. This is uh, two shows in uh, about the span of a week, just like the old days. Mm-hmm. More of this. We'll be working on pumping these out. Schedule was unsustainable, but yeah, and it was. <laughs> We'll be pumping these out, uh, hopefully more regularly, splitting these up. I already cracked Star Kraken into 96, watch the Raw Bowl, mm. if you're the ringmaster, but that is for another time. <laughs> Do you have any plugs to make there, Justin? Um, I can reveal the secret we've been sitting on, which is why this show was delayed for a year and then sabotaged two weeks ago. What's that? Insidious forces at play trying to keep this from getting out. Now, you, t- you assured me... That we were indemnified by the CubsFan.com's legal team, yes. correct? Pays the legal fees, yes. I will say it. This could, I mean, if we disappear and you don't see another show from us for a while, you'll know why. It's not that we're just not doing it. Something happened. 1995 never happened. It was a mass delusion and a memory implant from uh, using York Foundation technology because Vince spent the year in Connecticut minimum security prison, and so there was no 1995 in wrestling. We've been pouring over the microfiche this whole year, and then finally it all added up. It was a mass delusion, because uh, there was no wrestling business, and they just made everyone think this. Which, when when we talk about it, most of this seems incredibly implausible. Mabel, <laughs> the Harlem Knight himself. Like, come on, just didn't. No, 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 no. So, all the way with Nash for a year? 
Look at the attendance numbers. So, no. So, yeah. Look out. Okay. Come okay. at me. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up here. I want to thank Justin for his time yet again. <laughs> and uh, we will be uh, we'll be back hopefully around Thanksgiving-ish, assuming this this show taped and you'll be hearing it. <laughs> and which, that didn't happen. Never mind. <laughs> Always a pleasure to talk to Justin. Likewise. I want to thank him for his time. I want to thank the Cubs fans for his plug. I want to thank you for listening and being patient. Even when I tossed out a Lucha show when you were probably expecting a... Uh, a 1995 recap. Give us the good stuff. Yeah. Sorry. Well, the thing is, I will say to everybody, I'm sorry. Joe, the th- reason these work is that Joe watches most of the stuff and reads all of it, and we don't just make it up as we go along. He actually bothers to remember and even enhance his knowledge of what happened, and then I'm there to be like, what but then is another thing. More like women on a mission. And uh, so that's why. But if you get impatient, do not come at Joe, because I can assure you, he is working hard at the time. If you need to tie yourself over, you can just call me, and I will talk about... uh, I'll have an exuberant uh, conversation with you about whatever happened in wrestling at the time. And then you can say, like, hey, remember? And I'll be like, yeah, not a joke. So it's all right. We're going to do it. Okay. Don't worry. We're good for it. All right. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you then. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>